0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation podcast series. This is an extra just for you. Uh, we're coming to you today thanks to generous support from individuals, donors, and our corporate partners, including Celgene. My name is Trisha, and I'd like to introduce my special guest whose voice you already know. It's Robert Brolson, our communications manager. Hello there. Hi, Bob. I've been wanting to do this for a while because I want to see a little bit about your insight on what patients experience. I know you've met a lot of patients in both in person and through uh, telephone interviews. And so I'd like to kind of hear what is the first thing that you hear patients say about when they were first diagnosed?
1: Well, I'd be happy to speak about that. One of the, my favorite parts of my job is working on developing the patient's stories. Uh, and it's been going on the eight years I've been at the foundation, and I've done over 100 of them now at this point. And they've been in print. They've They're online. They're accessible many ways. But when I contact someone about doing a story, sometimes – they want to write it themselves. Other times they want to do it in interview form on the phone. But what they first ask me is, how should I begin? And I'm usually my answer is just it's up to you. Some people want to speak about it in a chronological way, just from not feeling well to the treatment and where they are now. Others at first want to start with their advice up right up front. So it happens different ways, but we generally find the, the uh, scenario that works best for the particular patient.
0: So, is there, um, we all know that these bone marrow failure diseases disrupt your life completely, um, especially when you're at that first stage of diagnosis or trying to get a diagnosis, and then that initial treatment phase can you can you talk a little bit about um, the ways that people's lives are disrupted by bone marrow failure diseases?
1: Well yes, uh, as with younger people uh, oftentimes it di- it disrupts school, and some much younger patients have unfortunately missed a whole grade of school. Some have had to uh, interrupt their studies at college, but they're all focused on getting through it and getting back to school. With others, I've heard less about it truly interrupting a, a career or a job.
0: And so when they when they have to go for treatment, do you think that um, their medical staff prepare them well enough for the rigors of treatment, do you think they understand what they're getting into when they first go into a hospital for their treatment? Oh,
1: many have, have clearly t- stated that, oh, I didn't think this was much. I thought I'd just be treated with a few shots and everything would be much better. And then they soon found out it was much more serious and involved than that. Um, others pretty much right away got online and learned what they could and, and sometimes found us that way. But uh, there have been different degrees to which they've been prepared for what they're about to experience.
0: Would you, would you compare that experience to as something similar to what a cancer patient goes through in treatment and recovery, or would you consider it really very different from what a cancer patient goes through?
1: Well, of course, there's all different kinds of cancer, and everyone is, you know, just terrified when they hear about a cancer diagnosis. Sometimes they've never heard of these diseases, and their uh, reaction is, oh, I'm glad it's not cancer. I'm glad it's not leukemia. Uh, but then they, again, find out that it's still a serious disease, and it's not just going to get a few shots and get over it.
0: Yeah, I've read several of your cases where the person who is who's writing will say, or or being interviewed will say, my doctor told me, good news, it's not t- cancer's. Bad news it's blah blah, blah mm-hmm. a, a disease i've never heard of before,
1: and sometimes they still can't pronounce it, and <laughs> which i don't blame them because those are those some of those names are a mouthful the, but still the other thing i'd like to add in doing these stories is that um, some of them have a excellent memory of everything that happened, the sequence the treatment regimen, the dosages, and they'll tell me Then after six months on this, I was switched up to a different dosage. Others, you can tell they're forgetting things and you have to go back and prompt them. Well, did something occur between what you just referred to and what you're speaking about now? Uh, So the the, the degree of memory and detail, it, it it, it varies widely.
0: Um yeah I've heard I've heard uh Lee Clark our patient advocate and patient services specialist talk about how with some people the the brain fog that's similar to chemo sometimes will linger much longer than the patient and family anticipate so I'm sure that for that that happens just sometimes right it's not everybody
1: mm-hmm. Correct, and no one has specifically referred to that or called that out in their story of having trouble adjusting or, you know, brain fog uh, during treatment or lingering after. It's it's probably something that they're dealing with, but they don't think to talk to mention it. And now that you mention it, it's something I I may ask about.
0: Well, another another thing that I've noticed from the patient stories that you write up is um, patients saying things at the end like, live every day. I learned to appreciate Mm -hmm. the small things. It's changed my perspective on the world. You need to appreciate your family and friends and and enjoy nature and beauty. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about how going through the experience of bone marrow failure, disease and treatment Mm -hmm. has... Give them, given them a different perspective on the world.
1: Some of them actually said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? It sounds just so, just incorrect. But some of them have actually said that. They have all said, uh, yes, it uh, showed me, gave me a greater appreciation of life that I have now. Another thing that um, they often conclude with, or I will often ask them as a way to conclude a conversation. I'll say, well, if you had... One message to give to patients who are where you were X number of years ago when this was just getting started for you, and now it's eight years later, what would you tell them? And it might sound predictable or something, but every single one has said, do not give up. Don't give in. Uh, fight each day. Learn as much as you can uh, and rely, find support and rely on it, that those are always the four or five points that they make. Some might say all of those things. Others might f- focus on just one of those things. But that's the message that they want to deliver to newly diagnosed patients.
0: Wow. And, and they all have caregivers, right? Have you talked with many of the caregivers?
1: Sometimes you find that um, the patient and the caregiver almost function as a unit. And if you're going to talk to one, you're going to have the other one there. That's how connected they are. And uh, the patient uh, the care, patient and caregiver relationship it's different each time. It could be a mother, it's been a mother and a daughter. it's been um, a young boy and his uh, older sister. I've seen it all different ways, but they just seem to develop a a way of operating together. And at some point, of course they're different people, but they do uh, have have a just a almost symbiotic relationship and the the patient always says, I wouldn't have gotten through this if it weren't for my caregiver.
0: Wow! Well, and what does the caregiver say?
1: The caregiver, some of them have often said, as anyone might imagine, they might, well, frankly say, I wish this hadn't happened, but I was called upon to be here for this uh, relative or friend, and I'm not running away from, from that uh, uh, responsibility. And they also say, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about this disease and what goes on. And I learned a lot about um, how to interact with people, interact with uh, the doctors in the medical community. Um, so they they don't ever call it a positive, but they say, if I went through it, I sure learned a lot and was able to help someone at the same time.
0: Do you find that the caregivers that you get to talk with take some time while this patient is in this difficult part of the journey which can last you know two years what or or even longer, more sometimes longer yes. that, that they take time for themselves and they are able to get away or they do something for their mental health
1: they don't like to call attention to I've asked because caregiver burnout is an issue and uh it they're very it's, it's stressful and they they talk about that they will say you need a backup make sure you have a backup who can step in for you for a short time if it's gotten to be too much. One of them did mention finding some resources through a social worker that the patient was seeing. So they they most of them will speak up and not uh take it all onto themselves.
0: I'm 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 really glad they're speaking up for that because that's something that I keep seeing over and over again um as I read and as I, I go through and and have incoming articles that there's so many about the role of the caregiver mm-hmm. and the caregiver's health as well. So
1: there's more resources now than there have has ever been, uh, for, for caregivers. And there's, they even have their own organization and they get on a uh, line with each other and see each other at the meetings and they network and they share their, their own stories, um, and ideas about how to deal with um, routine and unusual or rare s- circumstances they might encounter.
0: Are there? Um, are th- is there a patient or two? Um, you don't have to use like their their n- real names. No. Uh, no. But is there a patient or two that just stick in your mind and will stay with you always? Um,
1: yes. Uh, after having done. It may be up to 110 or 15 stories by now. Um, there, there are a couple. Um, one was uh, someone I spoke to recently who's um, had uh, an MDS patient with terrible GVHD problems that are just incessant. And from the start, from when I started on these stories, I was impressed with how good-natured some of most of these patients are who've gotten a pretty unfortunate deal in life um as far as specific stories there are um there's so many it's hard to predict but one that i mentioned the gvhd patient but um another one i mentioned um or have thought of is a a plastic anemia patient who also had pnh and she gave a lot of thought to the emotional and coping side of it. Some people think only of the medical side, my treatment. Right. Other, right. Others of them think what's the best way to cope with this, uh, the stress, and in that kind of way. And then what she has done is she's gone on and packaged it and, and blogged about it and these things. So they want to at least take what was an unfortunate experience and try to make something good out of it that will help others. Did
0: um, th- this... PH patient, did she uh, you know, seek professional help like like a therapist or a psychologist or yes, a social worker? Th- this
1: particular person did uh, is, is seeing um, again, I don't know the exact title of the professional she's seeing, but they also do say, don't be afraid or to get counseling and don't be ashamed to admit that you are. Uh, that's another theme that's come through
0: and And I would suspect that works for caregivers, too. the caregivers givers have a lot of emotion tied up in this, not just about the the stress of having a very sick, loved one, but also, you know, as the appointments pile up and the responsibilities pile up, I imagine that sometimes they might feel resentful or just exhausted.
1: Well, some of them have mentioned problems, and if it's someone they've been married to for 40 years and know that well, of course, they're devastated by what's happened, but they've had problems uh, taking care of the patient and managing daily household life, and that's when they have uh, called in for help when needed. You know, one of them said, well, I was so involved and am so involved in taking care of my wife that I'm getting help around the house just taking care of of day-to-day things. And that's in no way an admission that you aren't doing it right or have uh, haven't measured up somehow.
0: Um that's that's good to know and I think I think that's um important for caregivers and patients to hear that both of them can hear that it's okay to reach out for help because I mean, we're only human, right? <laughs> and this is <laughs> yeah. this is a huge it's a, it's a huge thing to deal with. It takes a lot of energy, both from the patient and the caregiver. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad to hear that people are reaching mm-hmm. out for help when they need it.
1: Well, the, back to the stories that I do. The, the, the caregiving side comes into it sometimes, not a lot. But mainly what we do is get a chronological progression of what happened. And then I look for little things that suggest that they're, they've forgotten something. And then... We we end it with the how did you cope and how did you deal with it and who helped you and the final question invariably is what would you like to uh, pass on to patients who were where you were uh, a number of years ago so that's the progression and I always uh, enjoy doing these and I encourage anyone who wants to share their story um, to please get in touch.
0: Okay, so that's that's great. They can find you um, just by it'll be forwarded from our regular um, info or our regular help at mm-hmm. amds.org.
1: Many of them come through that way, and many come through you, Tricia, yourself.
0: Through through social media. And then, some. the thing I'm going to turn on to you, your final question. Okay. So, what would you say to patients as patients? Um, the thing from synthesize what everybody uh-huh. has told you, that yeah. final question that uh-huh. you asked them, ask it. Now I'm asking that of you. What's the last thing or the most important thing that you think patients or patients and caregivers or patients and or caregivers should know?
1: Okay. And of course I'm speaking, I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. Um, so it doesn't come from that standpoint. But um, what I've learned in my eight years here is There are now more ways than ever to learn about these diseases. It is important to know where to go for good, accurate, vetted information because, of course, there's a lot of deceiving, deceptive, and outright fraudulent information out there online, especially. And you need to know when you're looking at something and if the claims are just too good to be true or they're trying to sell you something. But with uh, government websites like, uh, you know, NIH, uh, CDC, uh, and there's a number of um, you know, websites that NIH has, like Medline and these kinds of things um, uh, that y- you can refer to to get good information. So that would be my advice. Learn everything you can, and and it all will go from there.
0: And and not just there, but also our own at aemds.org. Absolutely. Of course. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. ours are vetted and checked by medical professionals as well.
1: The Some of the best in the field.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Bob, for sharing with us your experience.
1: My pleasure. It's been great to speak with you.
0: And uh, we'll see you all next time.